All right, so good evening, everybody, those uh, present and those who are not yet present, which is uh, going to be somewhat part of our topic tonight. And uh, because we are going to have a very timely class, pardon the pun, it's going to be very timely and uh, going to have a lot of important um, stuff here. Most um, here are lots of... Uh, Lots of timely messages it wants to send me. Very nice of it. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, of course, I have to share a joke related to time. So it goes like this. Um, what happens when you put a clock under your desk? What happens when you put a clock under your desk? You are working overtime. Ha, 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 ha. Okay, all right. Sorry about that. So uh, today we're going to have a class all about time. Time is important. That is what we live in every single moment. And uh, it's what the most finite thing that we really have. And um, along this course of meditation, a part of our meditation is going to be about time. Anybody can tell me what particular um, meditation out there, not Jewish, is there out there that is related to time specifically? If you know, you can put it in the chat. While you do that, if you know any general, not a Jewish meditation, general meditation related to time, hopefully you'll get, you'll get an idea of what the class is about. But first, I got a recap. Uh, good evening, Zella, Jesse, everybody else. So recap. We have to recap what we've done last week. And that is in the previous lesson, we explored the depth of Jewish spiritual meditation and how meditation can make us aware of both our soul and by extension, the soul of the universe and developing a mindset in which we recognize God everywhere, which is really the purpose that was part of what we thought about, you know, recognizing the power of God everywhere. And we learned to appreciate that God is within everything and he is giving everything a purpose and a meaning. And that allows us to live our lives with purpose and meaning and experience everything through a divine lens. In other words, everything that happens is divine. And therefore, if there is um, anything that happens to us, there's a divine reason for it. And so if we live here or live there, we take a vacation here, we take a vacation there. It is for a divine purpose. Very good. Somebody wrote in the notes, uh, a meditation about time is mindfulness. So we will get to that. Very good. So the goal of Jewish meditation, as we have seen, is not to have an experience, as we said earlier, where we escape the world, but just the opposite, to be able to live in this world, seeing the purpose that is inherent within the world. As we saw last week, when we can see the soul of the world, when we see the godliness in the world, um, that allows us to take um, every moment and make it important. And we're going to develop this a little bit further. We're going to start with a little exercise and um, this exercise. So again, the purpose of Jewish meditation is again, not about an experience where you leave this world, but really meditate on ideas that allow you to live each moment with more purpose. And that is going to be the, the idea of the topic of today. And so apropos to that, we're going to share some questions. Let's see if, uh, no, let's see if the, um, have it in here. Questions. Um, they do. Okay, so let me share this on the screen. So here are five things that you could think about, and you can rate it from one to five of all five of these things. 
you can see the, yeah, you can see it, right? So you have, let's say, prayer. When you are praying, how engaged are you typically? Think about it. How engaged are you typically on a scale of one to five? Are you mostly involved in the prayer? Are you mostly thinking about the next thing that you have to get to? Um, I'll, and um, me personally, I'm always thinking about what page number I have to announce, it, announce next. But no, seriously, um, it was funny. I was actually, I was just up in 770, the Chabad World Headquarters last week on Sunday, you know, and uh, I was I was davening Mincha over there. And like, right before I, like, I was announcing Mincha, I got a minion together. And then right before we started, I was in the Chazim, but right before we started, I announced, you know, page 101. And then people looked at me like, what? I'm like, oh, sorry. I'm just so used to saying the page number, you know? <laughs> so and then somebody's like, you must be a, a Zaliyah, you know, a Chabad emissary. I'm like, yeah, yep, yep, that's true. So anyways, in prayer, how engaged are you in prayer typically? How about this conversation? How involved are you typically in a conversation? Any thoughts? How, tip, how involved are you typically in a typical conversation that you have on a scale of one to 10, one to five? Again, how engaged are you when you're waiting in line at the supermarket? Well, how present are you, I should say? Well, I'd say most people have a one over there. Uh, at your desk at work, how engaged are you? And finally, how engaged are you when you're reading a book? Hopefully you can score over 15, but I'm not sure um, I'm not sure all of us today can actually score over 15. Again, if you were to rate all these from a one to five, prayer, conversation, workshopping, reading, uh, can you get at least a 15 of, of, of uh, engagement and being present and not distracted? You know, human beings, we've always been distracted. Uh, we've always had other things that we could think about. Sometimes it's thinking about our future, especially today. You know, high school kids are already in, in uh, ninth grade. They're thinking about what the next thing is. And uh, particularly today in our rush to do more and achieve more, we are living less. And in our attempt not to miss anything, we kind of try and catch everything. And it doesn't really work. I think I've mentioned this before, but... Um, I remember when I used to go on vacation before we had a bunch of kids, I used to try and like get places and make sure I see everything. And it's always like a rush. You got to make it here and then you got to see it there and you got to see it there and you got to see it there. Um, so this is not a new problem. This is a problem that's been going on for a long time. And in fact, this is a problem that was brought up by a man called Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura. Has anybody ever heard of Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura? He's famous for something. Well, why is that up there? Let me pull that over here. Anybody knows who Rabbi Avadia? What is he famous for? Rabbi Avadia Bartanura. Something very, very famous. You can put it in the chat. And while you're out there, I'm going to change the page number over here. Wine. Wine. Very good. Wine. Yes. There's a famous wine named after him, probably the most famous Jewish wine today called Bartanura wine, a blue Bartanura wine. Everybody loves Bartanura wine. Well, Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura, many, by the way, many of the sages who lived in France, I, I think he lived in France, but not for many of the sages, Rashi and others were famous for making wines also. And, um, and, and the Jewish people in general are known for whining, but that's a whole nother story. So uh, Rabbi Ovadia Bartanura, who lived many, many years ago, 800 years ago, I'm not sure exactly, but hundreds of years ago before we had cell phones, he already wrote about, these issues. And he said, one pious fellow would often pray, may God protect me from enduring a scattered soul. It's an interesting line, but it's used today very much. It's called Pizr HaNefesh, 
a scattered soul. People in earshot would ask, what is a scattered soul? He would respond, those who own many assets that are located in several divergent locations are forced to divide their attention to stay on top of all of them at once, causing the soul to scatter its energies. In other words, if you have a lot of businesses, you may be lost worrying about many different items. And let's say, for example, you have a lot of stocks in many different companies and and it's most of your livelihood, you will probably be obsessively checking all the different hundreds of stocks every day because that's that's where all your money is. If you have loads of businesses, you can be stuck um, worrying about all your assets. That's in fact why it says that marba nechasem marba daiga, somebody who has more has more to worry about. And so that's what he's saying. That's what a divergent soul is. We have these scattered souls where our energy is scattered in many, many different directions. And I don't have to tell you, you already know this, that in today's day and age, it's worse than ever. Obviously, email, cell phone, you know, everything is pretty bad. You know, they say there was once a um, businessman who was also a meditation teacher. So he used to get his students sit around him and he would say, I want you to count to three, take a deep breath, go of your cell phone. That was the uh, meditation businessman. You know, that's, that's uh, you know, instead of meditating, just the first step, you know, let, let go, of, you know, take a deep breath, let go of your phone. You know, we have that the, the phones, as we know, um, don't allow us any rest. In fact, today they even have these focus modes in these phones, which includes, it allows you to focus, but you can also, um, it, you know, you can focus, but you can also uh, allow certain distractions to come in and not other distractions. And it allows you, you know, if your wife is calling, then she can always distract you and things like that. You know, we're very, very distracted today. I don't think I have to tell you, we all know that we used to be a lot more involved and we're all playing a game of catch up. And so as we're doing one thing, we're worried about the next thing. And actually the Balsemtov found a hint to this in the words of the, um, he found a hint to this in the words of the Torah. In the words of the Torah, it says, let me see if I can. Yes, it says in the Torah, in the second paragraph of the Shema, it says, Vavaditen Mehira, you will be swiftly eradicated from the land, right? It says in the second paragraph of the Shema, if you won't listen to the word of God and you will not do what he says and you, you know, follow all the other nations, yeah, God will eradicate you swiftly from the land. And so the Baal Shem Tov used to explain this verse, you will be swiftly eradicated. And he used to explain it like this. He says, eradicate swiftness. Instead of reading it, you will be swiftly eradicate. Eradicate, he says, read it the other way around. Because in Hebrew, you read it, and you should lose mehera, the swiftness. You have to get rid of, of this rushing, 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 the rush of life. The rush of life is something we have to get rid of. It's something that prevents us from getting good and important things done. We have to be able to get rid of the mehera, the swiftness. I remember when I was in yeshiva, there was, uh, I was, you know, always in a rush to something very important. And I remember once I was walking up the steps, you don't know about this in Florida, steps, but there's something called steps. You can walk, walk up on them. They, they go like this a little bit. All right, yeah, somebody here has steps in their house. But uh, so anyways, um, so most of us with longer legs, we like to take at least two steps at a time. 
or something like that. And I remember I was doing that and, and my, uh, my, one of the uh, uh, yeshiva staff or something told me that in the original Chabad yeshiva, one time a bachor, one of the students was caught taking two steps at a time and he was kicked out of the school. Why? Because it showed he wasn't present. He was always rushing from one place to the next. When you're, when you're walking up steps, you walk up steps. I still walk up two steps at a time. I'm just saying, I'm not saying I'm saying. But uh, the, the idea, the theory of it is actually a very interesting idea. When you're walking up steps, you're walking up steps. When you're walking in the street, you walk, you walk in the street. We don't have to rush everywhere. And um, rushing, rushing is not, it's not healthy. So how do we stop ourselves from rushing? You know, there's actually a... Um, talking about being Pizor and Nefesh, the soul being scattered. There was also a story of the Tzemach Sedek, the third Chabad Rebbe. He had a son who married into a different Hasidic dynasty. And that Hasidic dynasty, they didn't like that people would pray at length. You know, Chabad were known for praying at length. And when you pray at length, you obviously are not praying with the minion. You're not praying with a quorum of 10. So uh, when the Tzemach Sedek's son got married to this other Hasidic dynasty, they warned him on Shabbos, I want you to pray with the minion and come back on time. He promises, of course, I'll pray only with a minion. And that Shabbos, lo and behold, it comes time for the meal. You know, the new son-in-law, he's not there. And he comes three hours later and his father-in-law tells him, didn't you promise me you're only going to pray with a minion? You're only going to pray with the quorum of 10. He says, I daven with a minion. He says, what is davening with a minion? Davening with a minion, davening with the quorum of 10 means to pray with all the 10 powers of your soul. In other words, when, when you, that's really what praying with a quorum means. You gather all 10, 10 aspects of your soul. How many people do that? Most of us, we're, we're praying with one mind here, one mind there, and, our, and half of our mind is somewhere else. And by the time we're done praying, we've figured out all of our business issues. And as I've mentioned many times, isn't it ironic that when we pray, we think about business. But when, we, when we're in business, we rarely think about prayer. So what tool do you use? And you can put this in the comments. What tool do you use to slow down and focus? If you ever do. Um, one, one tool I would say myself, of course, is uh, turning off your cell phone. It's helpful or putting it somewhere else. Um, but anybody has any tools that you do to slow down and focus on a task at hand? Any thoughts? Taking a deep breath. Deep breath. Very good. Yeah. If my mind is racing all over the place, I'll just try to pause, you know, for a few minutes. And there was once a, um, there was once a, um, a bear who walks into a bar. And he says, can I please get a drink of water? The bartender looks at him and says, why the long pause? And the bear says, I don't know. I always had them. Okay. All right. So that, you, mentioned the, you mentioned pause. So yes, taking a deep breath. And actually at the end of the class, we will learn the Kabbalah, the mystical reason of why taking a breath is so powerful in slowing us down. So good one. Uh, smiling. Yes, they've actually found that... Um, the muscle, if you smile, even if you don't feel it, it makes you happy. It has some psychological effect. Um, okay, mindfulness, which you mentioned earlier, this is obviously another famous technique used. So there are ways, different ways that people use to slow themselves down. And um, there is a, con the common one which we're going to focus on today is, of course, um, mindfulness. And we are not going here to just teach mindfulness in this class because mindfulness is not necessarily a Jewish concept, even though it's a great concept. 
as we have said many times throughout these courses, there are many good concepts that are not found in Jewish sources, but then there are also good concepts that are found outside of Jewish sources that may that are also in Jewish sources. So just to give you a background on mindfulness, people don't know, although today mindfulness is typically looked at as a secular idea, it actually originates in uh, Buddhism. It was started by um, the founder of mindfulness-based stress reduction program by John Kabat-Zinn. Okay, and he describes mindfulness as awareness that arises through paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally. So it's really the idea of focusing on the moment. Today, it is practiced again secular. It does have the originations of Buddhism. Today, we will take mindfulness and take it a step deeper. But let us first show you a simple Jewish source, old, old Jewish source, which will show you that mindfulness is definitely nothing new in Jewish sources. So let's take a look here. And so we're gonna have a few of the student book. It's gonna be on text number three, which means I'm way far behind. So let's scroll ahead. Like this. Nope. Sorry. Want to go down. Uh, okay, Rabbi Yosef stated this is in the Talmud. So the Talmud takes you back uh, to the, it was written during the years of the, um, it was completed in the fifth century of the Common Era. So that's a long time ago. So the Talmud, Rabbi Yosef says like this the valuable passages within the books of Ben Sira may be taught. And I'm not going to get into who Ben Sira was, that's, it'll just confuse you. Grieve, and this is what it's written in the book of Ben Sira. Grieve not over tomorrow's woes, for you know not what a day may bring. You may not be alive tomorrow, and you are worrying about a world to which you do not, will not belong. Well, that's one way of reading the Talmudic passage. Some say that the worry may not be there tomorrow. There's two ways of reading it, which I like the second translation better. The first one is like, wait, so I may be dead tomorrow, and I have something else to worry about right? Um, so I like, I like the reading, which explains it that, uh, you know, maybe tomorrow the worry will disappear. It's a very simple idea. Don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow may not be here. Now, I want to caution here because, you know, talking about mindfulness, people who suffer with real anxiety are always worrying about a hundred steps ahead. And in some cases it is really a large issue, which is, although we're going to share ideas that are helpful um, for such people, but people who have serious and real anxiety it, where their worries are debilitating and, and really worry well beyond the pale, so to speak, well beyond what's normal, uh, they definitely should seek professional help. We are talking about the, the most of us who have normal anxiety. Some people have like real serious anxiety where they literally, um, and, you know, they really think that Yogi, not Yogi, not Yogi Bear, what's his name? Uh, who's that? Um, who's that? Everything bad, everything that, everything bad that can happen will happen. They think I was saying Yogi Berra. It's not Yogi Berra. Um, who's the Who's the guy that follows you around? What's that, What's it called? Anything bad that can happen will happen. Nobody knows. What's it called? Okay, nobody knows. It's a famous line. Oh, Murphy. Yeah, yeah. Murphy's Murphy. law. Yeah, Murphy's law. Yeah. Some people really live with Murphy's law, and they really like imagine like every time you know that someone gets in a car, they you know. Or, or any news story they read about uh, some crazy Florida man, they think uh, that Florida man is knocking on their door next. Um, so again, there's serious anxiety, but the rest of us have normal levels of anxiety. 
I'm, in other words, I'm not talking about Jewish mother anxiety, right? Okay. <laughs> Jewish mother anxiety is a whole different story. I can't deal with it. No, I'm kidding. So um, he, sa he says a simple idea. He says, don't worry about um, tomorrow, but there's also a nice poem that's written in Hebrew that uh, was also translated nicely in English. And uh, this, is, this was written in the, uh, I think, 1700s. It was actually made into a really cool song, which uh, was made famous by a famous Jewish singer. Yeah, written, uh, sorry, 1500s. So it sounds like this. He'ovar ayin, the past is no longer here. He'atid adayin, the future has yet to appear. Va'ahova keheref ayin, and the, in the blink, the present will disappear. Imkain, if so, dagaminayin, what is there for fear? And so, so far we have really just said, focus on the present, that's all that matters right now. That's the, that's the basic idea of almost what you, want, what you might call secular mindfulness, which we're going to develop and show you the really Jewish way of looking at it. But secular mindfulness is really saying non-judgmentally, look at the present moment. So what are the possible pitfalls of mindfulness? Is um, one possible pitfall of mindfulness is Again, so mindfulness is really saying the world is running, but all that really matters is right now. The, the possible pitfalls of mindfulness is number one, for some, it may be a escape and a way of avoiding what they really have to do. So let's say you have a big bill that's due tomorrow and you owe uh, Bank of America or you owe your mortgage and um, you want to lie in your bed and you say, well, I'm just going to focus right now on my bed. Let me just focus on the present. That's tomorrow's problem. The bed feels really comfortable. Wow, just focus and meditate on the softness of the bed and the sweetness of sleep, you know? So mindfulness can be a escape from reality. And in fact, if you search on Google mindfulness, uh, this issue with mindfulness is discussed. Of course, they have ways of answering it. We will discover the Jewish way of looking at it. Additionally, aside from the practical, there's a, is mindfulness real or is it just a practical tool? In other words, Is there really something that's tying me to the present moment? In other words, why shouldn't I worry about the future? Is it just a practical technique to avoid getting overwhelmed? Or, it, in other words, is it acting like a band-aid to my issues? Or is there something real? In other words, is, is, is being mindful the real way to look at life? Or is being mindful a way of coping with life? That's really the question. Is being, again, is being mindful the real way to look at life or is it a way of coping with life? And in this lesson, we're going to discover the Jewish spiritual wisdom of mindfulness, which will allow us to um, answer these two questions and really take mindfulness to a whole nother level. And uh, in order to do that, we're going to have to take a step back and discuss a little spirituality. So I'm sorry, that's, that's always the way these classes work. Uh, we have to discuss a little spirituality. So we start with a joke. They tell the story. There was once a, a man who wanted to get himself a very nice suit for a wedding. He heads off to the tailor. He gives him, I said this joke in Seoul maybe a couple months ago, if you remember it. So he heads off to the tailor and he gives him all the material to make the suit. Back in the day, you didn't just walk into the store and pick off the suit that you like. Uh, back in the day, you had to get, buy the material and go to a tailor and he would measure you and fit you. So he gets measured and gives him the material and everything. And one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, the suit is not ready. Finally, after 
six weeks, his suit is ready and he comes to the tailor and he measures the suit and it fits all well, but he, he couldn't resist, you know, a jab at, at uh, the tailors as he's getting fitted and it looks so nice. He says, you know, it only took God six days to make this entire world and it took you six weeks to make the suit. The tailor looks at him and says, look what the world looks like and look what my suit looks like. Um, so we tend to think that, um, so obviously the world is not really that bad, but that's not really a topic of today's course. The really topic of today's course is we tend to think that God created the world in six days, which in fact he did, but creation is not an ancient story. Creation, creation is something that is happening at every single moment. So let's first take a look at text and then we'll explain what it means. And, and obviously this brings along its own questions. Like for example, what does it mean that God rests on Shabbat if, uh, if he's creating the world every moment? But let's first take a look at some text. So you believe me, right? Otherwise you'd say I'm making it up. Huh? Okay. A common perception is that God created everything out of absolute nothingness. And that in the beginning of creation, God imparted to the hosts of the heavens, i.e. the forces of nature, the power and ability to run the world. The world is, operates according to its manner as if God has let go of all his creations. It is only that occasionally God may desire to override the natural order. As long as God does not override it, the world runs on the power it obtained at the time of his creation. So that's how you would think. God created the world. Now it runs. It's on autopilot. He's set, set the autopilot. And every once in a while, he meddles with the... Uh, uh, metals with the wiring. But the proper belief is that God in his goodness renews each day constantly the first act of creation, actively directing his flow of vitality. Should God cease to do so even for an instant, all would be as not. Its existence would be utterly nullified. So this text is echoed in many Jewish sources, and it is basically saying as this, that if God would cease to exist, to, to create the world even for an instant, it would disappear. Now you may say, well, that's weird. Um, why would that have to be? Just the other day, I went to build a bear and I made a bear, and, you know, put on a little keeper and talus and I put it on the shelf and it's still there. It's still sitting there. So uh, well, I, know how to, I know how to build things better than God. God needs to continuously uh, give it some energy. So the answer is that there's a difference. Let's take a metaphor. Let's take a look at the screen. And there you have beautiful words on the screen. Um, are those words really on the screen? Well, if I were to, uh, words, right? I can, I can cover those words very easily, right? So although the words are being projected on the screen, the moment I, um, you know, cover the projection, the words on the screen disappear. In other words, that projector has to be projecting those words on the screen every moment. They don't actually exist, exist there. Contrast that to a painting on the wall over here. Um, the painting that's behind the projector, you may see a little bit of it. The painting over there, um, if, I, if, I, if I cover the projector or I don't cover the projector, nothing will happen to it. You know, they tell the story of there was once a king who, um, who wanted to... Um, who wanted to, he, he got the two best artists. He wanted them to make a beautiful painting and reward them handsomely, handsomely. And so the first artist was working, working, working. The second artist was in there for a day and he was done. And, you know, obviously his canvas is covered. Nobody can see what, what's in there. 
And everybody's wondering, you know, what the first artist's work is hard. The second artist is, is just doing nothing. What's, what's it going to look like? So comes the big day and the artist worked really hard, pulls off his cover and everybody else, wow, beautiful painting, all the colors and shapes and everything. And then the second artist comes and he pulls off his, his, uh, his cover and poof, there was a mirror and uh, his painting looks so nice. It's reflecting the uh, picture on the other side of the room. So the king turns to the second artist and says, wow, that was so brilliant. And so he takes a glob of money, he puts it in front of the first artist and uh, he tells the second artist there, you can see the reflection of your money in the mirror. Uh, so what's the idea? Of course, is that you don't have the money. It's a reflection. The moment the, 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 the place that's giving the reflection disappears, it's not there, right? So the, the projector, the words on, on the projector, good evening, Ketura, the words on the projector, they're not actually there. And so we say the same thing applies when God created the world. They tell that, that when God created the world, there was nothing. It's not that, for example, when you make a painting, what you're doing is you're taking paint that exists and you're putting it on a canvas that exists, you're just taking the items and changing its form. When you build a bear, you're taking the clay that exists, you're taking the kippah and, and, and the talus, you're just putting together all those items were there before you touched it. So of course they're going to stay there. Conversely creation, there was nothing there before. And therefore, unless God continues putting it there, it's not really there. It's a hard thing to wrap our, our, our heads around because we don't really, um, we don't really necessarily fully relate it because there's nothing in this world that we create like that. Let me give you a, they tell the joke. They tell one time God was sitting in heaven and the scientists came to God and said, God, we don't need you anymore. We finally figured out the biggest uh, mystery of the world. We figured out how to create life. And so God says, oh yeah, show me. So the scientist bends down, picks up some dirt and God says, whoa, get your own stuff, right? So we're so used to creating things from other things. That's how we relate. We create from things that already exist. The closest that we have to constant creation in our own lives are things that where the nature is pulling it one way and you're pulling it the other way. Again, where nature is pulling it one way and you pull it the other way. So for example, let's say you have a rubber band. The rubber band naturally is, is going to uh, be here, let's say, and, and you pull on it. Naturally, it wants to stay in that place where it is. So the moment you let go, it's going to revert to its original state. Or for example, let's say you take a rock and you throw it in the air. This is an example given in Hasidic philosophy. You take a rock and you throw it in the air. Is the rock, would you call it a flying rock? Not a flying rock. It's, I would call it differently. I would call it a rock that is flying. I'll tell you the big difference. If it's a flying rock, I could sell it for lots of money because rocks don't fly. The reason why the rock is flying is because of the kinetic energy, the energy that you put in it. You know, and the stronger you are, the farther it's going to go. The moment that energy leaves it, nature is going to pull it back down. That's the closest we can get to this. So the same thing we have to think of the world. Naturally, there is nothing aside from God. And so there is no world. The fact that there is a world is because God is constantly giving it a energy. Um, remember, um, for example, let's say another example. Let's say... Uh, um, anybody here ever watch cartoons, you know, you think of, or videos, videos, we tend to think of videos as this one long, um, we tend to think of videos as a, uh, one continuous picture, but actually, if you look into it, right, if you buy a camera, they say 30 FPS or 60 FPS, what does that mean? It means 30 frames per second or 60 frames per second. Any moving image you see on a screen, it's actually not possible to show you on a screen a moving image. 
every single second, the screen has to give you another image that moves slightly. I remember the first time I saw how they used to make Disney cartoons when they actually drew them. I remember like after one of the Disney movies, they like showed the artist sitting there, they had to draw every single you know movement of the hand. If you know if a, car, if a cartoon character moved their hand, you have to show every single movement uh, because it's not a it's not an entity that can move its hand. It's a cartoon, right? When you when you show a movie on a screen or on your phone, you're actually not seeing a moving object on your screen. What you're actually seeing is a bunch of pictures put together that now looks like a moving object, but really every single second, something has to be, there has to be a new frame. Every single second has to be a new frame. And the same thing is about us. We on this earth, we look like we're moving beings and the world is here and it's moving around and everything's here, but really every single second, God is creating a new frame. Every single second that you are alive, every single second that you move, every single second that something else in this world moves, there's a constant renewal. There's a constant uh, frame, a new frame being created. And this actually explains one of the, uh, and, and you, this is something you can meditate on or think about next time you actually pray. Uh, a line that you say every every morning, hopefully, um, in the blessings of the Shema. And uh, it's a really great line. It's line number, uh, text number seven. And we'll read it over here. Probably you never thought about it, or maybe you did, but now you'll understand the line better. It says, Hamachadesh betuvo bechol yom tamid bereshit. It's uh, at the, right at the end of this of the first blessing of the Shema in the morning. And what it says is, in his goodness, he renews the work of creation each day continuously. And, and so now you have a deeper insight into what that means, is that it's not just that he's you know, not destroying the world, but he is renewing the world every single second. Put in other words, if God wanted to get rid of the world, what would he have to do? Some, you know, some people say, well, you'd have to make a big fire. Some say you'd have to uh, make a big hurricane, big tornado. No, all he has to do is stop renewing the creation of the world every single moment, every single moment. And so what we take away from this is that the world is not autopilot and every single moment of the world's existence is a deliberate act of creation. And I'll repeat that again. What we have taken away from what I just said is that every single moment of the world is a deliberate act of creation where everything that exists is recreated anew and a new creative energy that never existed before. Again, you're getting a new creative energy that never existed before. Now that may be an abstract idea. We are going to see how that abstract idea can play a role into your lives. I'm gonna pause here for any questions or comments. Does anybody have any thoughts of how this idea can uh, play into your life. You don't have to. It's only if you want to. Can you repeat that again? Every single moment, what? Every, sing every moment is a deliberate act of creation where everything that exists is recreated anew with a new creative energy that never existed before. Just as every frame in a movie is a different frame, just as every moment there's, there's on the screen over here, there has to be a constant flow of electricity to the projector to, to post it on the screen. Every single moment we're alive, God has to give a deliberate act of energy and creation to this world. He, he never leaves us alone. And, and that, that applies to every single detail, every single detail of this earth. Um, I heard it, uh, somebody talk, I guess the other day about the idea that you know, all we have is this present moment and whatever is being created in our lives 
you know, what we do in our lives. It's what we are not doing something in the future or in the past, the past is gone. So it's like what whatever we do in each moment, you know, is what creates our life. So I would, you know, I would think it's an opportunity from and what you're just saying sounds very similar, obviously on the macro scale or micro scale, but, you know, through Hashem. Um, so it means at any moment, you can change direction. You can change what you do. You can change who you are. Um, I would think that would just be very empowering. Okay. You, you mentioned two things and I, they're both very good. One is that at every moment you can change who you are. So this ties into the topic of teshuva, repentance. If every single moment I'm recreated anew. So who cares what I was yesterday, the day before I am a new energy right now. I am a new entity right now. Yes. I, doesn't mean you can't, you don't have to deal with the past per se, but really gives you a new uh, outlook on looking at a new lease on life. In other words, if we look at it that we're a continuous energy that God gave us. So if I sinned, you know, you can think, well, I'm just waiting around till, you know, God decides to do me in, you know, till I do enough bad things till God decides to do me in or whenever he, you know, gets around to putting me in hell. But if you think about that, you just sinned a moment ago or a day ago or a week ago. And yet God since then has decided to continuously recreate you. That means he's always waiting for you. He's giving you energy right now to hope that you come back and return to him. That's, that's a very powerful thought and idea. Again, not that, you know, he's just letting you stick around until he can take care of you. He's actually creating you right now um, because he has something for you to do right now. And, and it gives you a new, at least in life. So in, in the idea of teshuva, it's a very powerful idea. Um, another idea that we're going to take out of this is really now we're going to really crystallize the difference between secular mindfulness and Jewish mindfulness. Secular mindfulness is really about making you aware and observe the present, whereas Jewish mindfulness is getting you to invest in your present. And I'll say that one more time. Secular mindfulness is about observing and making you aware of the present. That's really what it is. Step back and just observe, you know, the trees, the rustling of the, the breeze. And Jewish mindfulness is much more than that. It's recognizing that there's a present that God is creating right now, and therefore you should be investing yourself into it just as God is investing into you. And then so an outgrowth of that would also be secular mindfulness. Its purpose is to create calmness and relaxation, whereas Jewish mindfulness is not necessarily tailored to, to relaxation. What it is tailored to is getting something done right now doing something purposeful right now because you and the world around you is being created right now with a purpose. Again, it can have a fringe benefit of relaxation because, you know, maybe you can, so to speak, let go of the past a little bit. Maybe also, as we'll see, you can let go of the future, but the purpose of it is not necessarily calmness as much as recognizing the power of the moment, not just observing the moment, but recognizing the power of the moment. That is Jewish mindfulness. So let's take a look at um, text number eight. Text number eight. Humans, even if they are not in a perfect state of balanced mind, with the exception of truly extreme cases, will not do anything without a reason and motivation. 
In other words, most of us will only do things for reason and motivation. We don't just do things. Certainly the absolute perfect creator and director of the universe, who is also the creator and director of each human, does not create an entity that lacks a definite purpose. Each individual day and each and every moment of the cosmic dimension of time is an individually created entity. It therefore follows that the theme and purpose of a specific day is distinguishable form from that of every other day in the entire realm of time. I just want to point out, like, if God wanted to, right, let's say you have problems. In the next moment when he recreates the world, he could recreate the world in a way that the problem disappears and nobody noticed. Just putting it out there. I'm not saying he does that. I'm just saying he could. That means every moment he's creating anything in this world, um, it's because there's a purpose for it to be there. In other words, the purpose of any single day in the terms of that which God expects of us to accomplish is unique. It is unique not only within the week, not only unique within the week, even that year, rather our mission in regards to this day is unique among all the days that are supported by the entire dimension of time. The proof is straightforward. God created this day as an individual unit of time. He surely has a unique purpose for this unit of time, this unique creation of his that cannot be accomplished with any other unit of time. Were that not the case, God would have no need for it and he would not have created for it. In other words, if we are to believe that God is purposeful, and hopefully you do, and as he says, it, you know, if human beings are at all purposeful, we don't do anything without a reason, even if they're silly reasons, surely God creates everything for a reason. So any moment in time that God's creating, there's a purpose for it. Um, the task of a Jew who was created for the overt goal of serving God is to utilize each day constant, cons consonant, okay, consonant with God's will through accomplishing the purpose unique to that particular day. And so this realization is powerful, that there is a unique purpose to any given moment in time and it can only be realized now. Why only now? Because God is creating it now. There's something unique that he wants to be done now, not tomorrow. It may be sleeping for you. It may be eating for you. and maybe something else. And the appreciation and awareness that God is purposely creating you gives rise, as I said, to a radical new idea of living in the present. Living in the present is not an escape from life, but as we said here, investing in life with the purpose for which you are created. Whatever it is that we're doing right now is the most important. So in other words, instead of saying, well, I can't do what needs to be done tomorrow because today is today, right? So some people say, well, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be mindful. I'm going to focus on the moment because either way, I'm, I'm in the present, right? It's saying, no, I'm focusing on the present because this is the most important thing to be done now. It's not that tomorrow is more important. I'm just not there yet. That's maybe how one could think in a mindful way. Tomorrow is important, more important, but... I'm not there yet, so let me just worry about right now. No, it's saying right now is the most important time that you will ever live in, as is the next moment. And in Hasidic parlance, this is also known as a panimi. A panimi is someone who is, lives in every moment at that moment. Somebody who lives at each moment to its fullest. Let's take a look over here how a panimi is described. So not somebody who takes two steps at a time on the stairs. Right, so there's a famous saying of the fifth Rebbe, the Rebbe Shalom Dober, that a panimi, a person of profound internal integrity, great translation, person of profound internal integrity, is fully invested in each and every undertaking. 
At one of his public gatherings, Rabbi Shalom Dober sensed that his younger students were leading the customary singing of a Hasidic melody at a furious pace because they were eager to hear the profound spiritual teachings that were to be delivered following the singing. In response, he devoted an entire address to explaining that a Jew must accomplish each individual undertaking of divine service wholesomely. We may be engaged in an activity that serves merely as a preparatory bridge to a main task. Nevertheless, as long as we are engaged with this particular activity, we must be fully invested in that activity. This is a fundamental principle for all situations, he declared, that wherever you find yourself, you must be present. How often are we in life doing something that prepares for another thing and we just want to get it over with, like that example? How often are we doing one thing to get to the next? Maybe it's showing up to show at, at 9.30 because you want to be there for the 12.15 Kiddush and you just don't want to show that you're coming just for the Kiddush. I'm kidding. But, uh, you know, anything in life that we show up for early because there's something else that we want to get. Or let's say we come to a, I'll give another example. Let's say you, you're, you're at an event uh, because the, you really like the keynote speaker. But in the meantime, there's another speaker who you don't really like. That's so how you kind of tune out. Or you could say, well, let me focus. Maybe there's something I can gain from this speaker right now. You know, maybe not the top speaker. Maybe there's a kernel of wisdom, a kernel of truth, because right now, this world, what's meant, the most important moment is to be listening to this speaker, not the next speaker. That is what Jewish mindfulness and really panimi, panimius is about, is about living in the current present moment, not because that's the only possible moment I could live in, more importantly. That moment God is creating right now. And if God is creating it right now, it's created with a purpose. And therefore, there is something I must uh, do in this particular moment. And this, any questions on this first point? Again, I, I, I can't harp enough on this. Again, it's really a very different take on mindfulness. If you think about it, um, we are not stepping out of the present moment. We're actually stepping fully into the present moment. That is Jewish mindfulness. If you, would, if you were to put it another way, secular mindfulness aims for the person to be attuned to the present time, and Jewish mindfulness aims for you to be present for the current purpose. It's really a very, very big difference. Um, so how does that help when you have lots of ringings and beepings on your phone? So practically, it could be the same. Practically, you're shutting off your phone or whatever it is with the understanding that, you know, let's say you're preparing for a class. Well, right now I have to prepare for it. God is creating this moment to prepare for that class or God is creating this moment to be with my kids. Yes, there are other important things that are coming. Uh, you know, you might think, let's say you're putting your kids to bed. You have five minutes to put your kids to bed uh, because after that you have to get an important Zoom call and like you're just rushing them to bed. Maybe you don't have a lot of time, but let's say you have enough time to focus on them, um, spend the time, because right now, when you are spending time with them, it is to be there fully present with them. That is the purpose for which you are being created. Again, defining what the purpose is in that single moment is really something you can figure it out. But once you define what that purpose is, try and be within that purpose fully. This brings us to, this brings us to our, our second point. And uh, that is, wait, any, any questions on this part before I move on to the next one? No, it's all clear as mud, right? We had, a, we had another problem, right? So this, this answers how um, mindfulness is not just 
some nice boo-boo to deal with issues, but it's, it's reality. It's not just a nice technique, but it's what we should be doing. And now we're going to deal with the issue of, so what about the future, right? If this moment is being created for this moment and there's purpose in this moment and we're giving um, great significance to this moment, so why do we ever worry about the future? And to answer that question, let us read a short, fascinating, important text. And this comes from the Talmud again. And this is text number 10. And it says like this, Alexander of Macedon said to the elders, who do you consider wise? They replied, who is wise? Those who see or anticipate the consequences of their behavior. And the actual Hebrew that is words used over here to see the consequences of your behavior or haroa et hanolad, he who sees what is born. So what does it mean that something is born? When something is born, that means that they, many times, right? Uh, typically things that are born, they have uh, a gestation period, right? Nine months or whatever it is. When something is born, they have to exist in the present until they are born within the future. And so being present in the moment can also be including investing the future. Just as nolad, things are born. Things that are born don't appear out of nowhere. Things that are born, they are an outgrowth of the present. Similarly, that is what Jewish mindfulness can tell us. In other words, it's not telling us, you know, focus on the purpose in this moment. The purpose in this moment can be uh, preparing for the future. And, uh, you know, as, you know, let's read the next text. This is, uh, in fact, this question is asked uh, by the Magina vote. And he says like this. Again, so the idea is, just like birth, is something that's prepared for from before. So this directive to anticipate consequences does not contradict the statement of Ben Sira quoted in the Talmud, grieve not over tomorrow's woes, for you know not what a day may bring. It is stated similarly in the Talmud, those with bread in their basket for today's meals who say, what will I eat tomorrow exhibit diminished faith? There is no contradiction because we are supposed to consider the future and set plans in motion that will rescue us from future harm. But concerning that which is not within our control, we should have full confidence in God and not worry about. So what it's saying is, if there is something right now that can give birth to the future, something positive, or prevent yourself from heading over a cliff, right? So, you know, you have a big debt. You don't just wake up, you know, say, well, let me worry about it tomorrow. No, you, you should take care of it. But things that are outside of your control, then they're outside of your control and they don't fall into this moment of purpose. Again, if this moment of purpose is God is creating. So, so let's say the worry is, well, maybe tomorrow people will change their mind or whatever. I don't know, whatever, whatever your worry is. Tomorrow I'll get into, you know, tomorrow I'll get into debt, you know, or what, I don't, I don't, what everybody has their own worries. We have to differentiate between real worries and, um, they say the past, the present, and the future walked into a bar. The atmosphere was tense. Okay. At the same time, right? Okay. That's that word. And the atmosphere was tense. Anyways. Uh, so <laughs> I loved it. Okay. So the, uh, the idea here is that the, the future can exist within the present, but if it doesn't, then you shouldn't be worrying about it. I'll give an example. 
there was once in um, 1970, it was 1970. It was on a video recently. In, I think it was 1970, it was uh, the anniversary of the Rebbe's uh, occasion of um, guests arrive, uh, occasion of his accepting the leadership. And the hundreds of guests flew in from all over the world, including from Israel. And shortly before the flight to Israel, the Rebbe held a farbring and held a Hasidic discourse, a talk. And at this talk, he mentioned there are some of you who are looking at the clock. Now, those of you who are not looking at the clock, but are like forcing yourself not to look at the clock, so you're even more worried than the people who are looking at the clock. He says, what you really need to do is focus on the present. He says, yes, you have a plane that's going to be taking off. Yes, you have a plane that's, but think of it. He says, right now, God is creating you here right now. The plane doesn't exist. When the plane will be created, you'll be there. You know, you'll be there for the plane when it's being created. But right now, you're, you're being created over here. And he brought a couple examples uh, of people that lived in the present. And so what, what Reverend was saying is like this. Things that don't require worry right now, then don't worry about them right now. Let's say, let's say a great example. You are in the airport. Let's say by yourself without your kids, which is a rarity, but you're in the airport by yourself without your kids and you, you pass security and now you're waiting for the plane to take off. How many people do something that's called killing time, right? We do something that's called killing time. When do we kill time? When there's uh, things that we need to get done. Uh, sorry, when, there, when there's something important coming up and uh, we're not ready to do anything else, so we kill time. Right, we're going to kill time. It's a terrible word, but it actually depicts what we do. We're killing time. And what we have to think of is, no, I'm being created right now for a purpose. Let me get something useful done right now. And so the Rebbe was telling them, look, you, I'm not going to hold you. you know, you're going to be able to leave for your flight. You're going to get to your flight. So why are you worrying about your flight right now? Right now, you could think about what we're talking over here. And when you get there, you worry about it over there. If there's something you need to do right now, you need a pack, you need a, okay. So you can do that. But if there's nothing you can do right now, live in the present moment. So here we had two. So, now, so we had two ideas in Jewish uh, mindfulness. One is that uh, we live with the moment because God is creating the world every single moment. If He's creating every single world with, in every single moment, He's creating with a purpose. And therefore, I have to find the purpose and meaning in every single moment. It's not just a band-aid; it's the reality. Right now is the most important moment in time ever for me and for the world. The flip side of it is also um, we anything that we can do for the future is part of the present, just like something which is born is part of the present. We do think about it, but something which is outside of our hands, we shouldn't let it worry us and focus on the things that we can do right now. And we did mention some important thing. Even when we're doing preparatory things, we're getting ready for something else. We should even live in those moments. Um, even if one thing is a lead up to another, the prayers are lead up to the kiddush or, or vice versa. Um, we have to focus on that. Now, we are going to give a little bit of an interesting holistic um, explanation of time, and that will be the last um, section of today's class. And um, there was once a little girl she, uh, sitting in the house, and she asked her dad, dad, what time is it? And he says, 4.45. She looks very puzzled, and he says, what's the matter, dear? And she says, you know, it's the weirdest thing I've been asking this question all day. And each time I ask, I get a different answer. Okay. So every single moment is a different moment in time. Time is defined by change. The reason why time, time is really measured by change. If nothing changed, there wouldn't actually be time. 
you know, that's why they call it frozen in time, right? So the spiritual root of the consistent continuum of change within the world is because of the godly energy that sustains the world is always changing. In other words, because the godly energy is changing, therefore there becomes a change in the world, and therefore we have something called time. Let's take a look at this is an interesting, again, we're going to get a little more mystical. It's a very interesting thing. It'll tie into breath with telling uh, All right. The distinctions between the, the tempor temporal dimensions of the past, the present, and future, and all the variety of events throughout the progressions of time are determined by differences in the combinations of the letters of the divinely creative speech that symbolizes the specific divine creative force that God invests in creation. In other words, Every single moment has a different energy of God. If you study the beginning of Genesis, God used words to create the earth. And so you can take God's name and you can actually spell it in different ways. And that creates uh, a different energy. So each year, let's say, has a different type of divine energy. Each week has a different divine energy. Each day has a different divine energy. Each hour has a, its own divine energy. And each moment really has its own divine energy. And in fact, if you look in the book, you can actually see, and I'll, I'll figure it here on the screen. Uh, you have it here, for example, it gives you the seven city wrote, the seven um, divine attributes correspond to the seven days of the week. So kindness is Sunday, restraint or fear is Monday, harmony is Tuesday. And um, just to give you an example, it says Malchut royalty is Shabbat. That's why Shabbat is all about the Shabbat queen. You know, Shabbat is about kingship and um Similarly, so that goes with every day of the week. It says the same thing is if you take God's name of the Yud Ke Vav Ke, the God's tetragrammaton, his four letter name, each letter of God's name is a code for a different energy form. And mathematically, there are 24 unique ways that these letters can be rearranged, reflecting 24 unique energy modes. 12 of those are the root for the months of the year, and 12 are for the hours of the day. So the first, uh, so the first 12, 12 hours of daylight and 12 hours of night are actually um, different divine energies. And there you have the different, different combinations on the screen that correspond to the different months and also to each hour of the day starting from, from six to six. And in fact, there's a story that uh, one time the Alter Rebbe, the first Chabad Rebbe was in prison and we actually know what cell he was in today because the Russians kept documentation and his cell had no window. And uh, this was, um, so a Jew needs to know the time. And one time he was davening with his toss and tefillin and the, uh, the soldiers burst in and says, why are you praying right now? The, you know, the morning prayers, don't you know? Uh, it's in the middle of the night. And he looks at him and says, no, no, I know. He gave them the exact time. And they say, well, how do you know the exact time? He says, because I know the time from the mystical combinations of the letters of God's name. So basically from the mystical combat, if you are in tune to that, the different flow of energy, if you were a real catalyst, you can feel the different flow of energy at each moment, and then you can tell time without a clock. And so truthfully, every single moment of time has a different power to it. And uh, when we divide it a little bit differently, it is also known when we're going to get a little bit more, um, it says that there are 
1,080 parts per minute, per hour. If you ever come to uh, Seoul for the Shabbat Mavarchim, the Shabbat where we bless the new moon, you'll know, I always say there's 18 parts to a minute, right? I think so, right? 18 parts to a minute. It's uh, 18 times 60. Times 60. 18 times 60. And 80. divided by 60, right? 18 times 60 is 1080. I always say there's 10 parts per minute. By the way, you ever know, like if you look on videos, they have this thing called a 1080. There's a, there's um, 1080. Um, it's a certain type of definition. Why the number 1080? Maimonides says 1080 is a great number for numbers because the number 1080 can be divided many, many times into subcategories. That's why they like the number 1080. But actually, fascinatingly enough, it actually says that a person who is sleeping will take about 1,080 breaths in their sleep. The current science is actually, you take 16 breaths a minute, not 18, but regardless, it's, it's very, very close. And the idea is that um, why are there 1080, why are there 1080 parts of, it says that God's name can be split into 1,080 combinations, and that is split up into each moment of the day. Why is that? Because when you think about it, breath, again, it says a person breathes 1080 in, in their sleep, and uh, there are 1080 combinations because breath really is indicative of a new energy. When you breathe in and you breathe out, right, you are giving a new energy. And so it says the same thing for God, there are 1080 divisible bursts of energy in every single hour that God gives. And, um, and so that is why it says that, that a person also breathes these amount of uh, times during their sleep. And so that's indicative of God giving his divine energy every single moment in time. Let's take a look at text number 14, actually. Wouldn't that, be, um, wouldn't that be connected to the whole fact that um, God breathed life into Adam? Like, 100%, exactly. And, and so also you're, every time you breathe, breathe, you're creating your recreating yourself is that kind of the idea no no just we are a reflection of god just as god is recreating every moment through his breath so to speak also right god created the world through words words are breath too so we are created similar to god so our breath is indicative breathing is like return the energy give it out return the energy give it out and so god gives a burst of energy gathers, gives, gathers, gives, kind of like frames in a video, like I said earlier, right? Every single frame of video, it's a new frame. The reason why we must breathe constantly at an approximate rate of 1080 breaths an hour is that the divine energy pulsates throughout all the spiritual worlds and energizes everything as the verse states, using the present ongoing tense, you give life to all things. As this energy arrives in our physical universe, it manifests within humans and widens every breathing creature in the air that we breathe which provides life as we draw it into ourselves. Because a fresh burst of divine energy is released at each moment. We need to continually breathe to absorb the fresh spirit of life that is now radiating forth from God. We cannot remain animated in the present moment with the energy of the previous moment. I'm going to read that line again. We cannot remain animated in the present moment with the energy of the previous moment. Since the world has moved on to a new energy and a fresh dynamic and has replaced and redefined all of existence. This is the way the world operated since its creation, and this is how it will continue until the end of time. And so when you think about it, with every breath that we inhale, 
think about what that means as God, so to speak, also takes a deep breath and gives. And so that's why when, when as Shelly said earlier, taking a deep breath allows you to live in the moment. It's a similar idea to what we're saying here is you take a breath and that allows you to focus on the current creative energy and moment that is being given to you right now. That, that burst of energy that God is giving you right now and that allows you to focus on the current moment. So taking a breath is a calming saying, I'm here in this moment. I have my, my burst and, and my energy right now. Somebody asked, what does it mean that Nissan has 6 to 7 a.m.? So what that meant was it was a graph actually showing that if you take God's name written in this format, it corresponds both to the month of Nissan and to 6 a.m. of every single day. So it was used as a dual purpose. So it's not Nissan at 6 a.m., but it means that combination applies to 6 a.m. every day, but it also applies generally to the month of Nissan. And similarly, each combination corresponds both to a month and to a hour of the day. So that would be also literally as well as figuratively, wouldn't it be? Because if you stop breathing, I mean, then you you wouldn't be able to experience the present moment. I mean, I don't know how long people can not breathe and still be alive. Right, but right. I mean, yeah, you know, the Kabbalists really also, they give it another way. It's, it's like pulsating, pulsating. Everything in this world that's live pulsates. Everything that's, that's a, it's, it actually, actually presents a really nice way. They say, what is the easiest way to define life? If you had to pick one word to define something as alive, what word would you use? It's a great way of thinking about it. If you had to pick one word for defining life, what word would you use? Animated. Animated, okay. Uh, Hasidic philosophy, they use the word movement. You need to move every single moment because anything that is alive moves. If there is no movement at all, it's dead, right? You need to move every single moment to be alive. And they say, why? Why is that? They say, because if you don't move, if you don't move, that means there's no flow of energy in and out. Every single moment that you are alive, you have to have a flow of energy in and out. In and out, in and out, every single moment, there's a divine energy coming in and out of you. That's what your breath is, the heart going up and down, up and down. And that's indicative of God who does the same thing. He pulsates a new energy every single moment. Ratsoi Vashuv, it's called going and coming, going and coming, going and coming. Everything that's alive is moving. And so when you feel movement in your life, that's another way of looking at it. Look at it as a pulsating divine energy that's coming to you every single moment. And so as fast as life is moving, you can think of it as going and coming, going and coming. This new energy that's coming to you at this moment, just, just uh, another way of looking at it. So we learned three general things today. We learned, number one, is God creates the world every single moment. And so that's, that allows us not just as a band-aid to live in the moment, but recognize every single moment as purpose. Included in living in this moment of purpose can include just like birth means something that is right now starts, you know, something that's born in the future starts right now. Similarly, if there's something in the future we have to take care of, it's included in the present purpose. It can be because nothing is created in a vacuum, as they say. And the final idea is this idea of breathing and the idea of recognizing that movement in our lives and, and breath. Uh, that's what life is. Life is all about this constant pump and, and, and beating of energy that God gives us. Just as you feel your heart beating every single moment, uh, Feel that divine life pulsating in this world. It's constantly pulsating. Think of it like that way. You take a breath, 
and you, t and you exhale and inhale and exhale and inhale, think about um, the, the divine life force that's coming into this world. Um, for those who want to stick around, I'm going to show the, uh, the lesson of meditation, which is really, um, it really is, uh, what do you call it? It's, it's not that long this time, but uh, you don't have to stick around for it. Not everybody likes uh, these meditations, but it's an interesting one. It just uh, gives you a moment to focus on the pulsating a moment of every second. But before I do that final video, I want to know if anybody has any questions. You? Let me uh, pause that. Anybody have any questions? Questions or comments? Now unmute yourself if you'd like. No questions. Okay. Well, <clears throat> that was some lecture. What are you talking about? <laughs> Every minute it should, you should be infused. Not only are we wanting to put God in our life, but then we, there's this other aspect of it. You're saying that thinking that it's being created every single second. We're finite. <laughs> we cannot do that. It's too much. What, what do you mean every single second? I'm saying every single second. We focus Jewish um, mindfulness is different than secular mindfulness. Correct. Because Jewish mindfulness should include the fact that creation is continuous creation. Once you recognize that there is continuous creation, yeah. then mindfulness is saying, not focusing on the other moments, focusing on for what purpose and I, am I here right now? It's another way of, right? In other words, the reason why mindfulness is helpful is people, their, their minds are rushing, thinking about tomorrow and the next day and all the other things they have to do, right? So mindfulness says focus on the present moment. Jewish mindfulness takes it just a step further and says focus on the purpose of this moment. And the theory behind that it's not just a band-aid. It's the theory is it's real. The fact that we are created every moment is because there's a purpose right now. That, that's what we're adding to it is that it's not just a band-aid. It's reality that um, I need to be created right now. Uh, sorry, I am being created right now. And therefore there's a purpose right now. Every day, all day long. Every day, all day long. So, and, but again, let's say you are, again, too often we get caught up in the next thing. When you realize that, I'm right now being created and we understand God does only, only things with a purpose. And that means right now you have a purpose. In other words, as I said, if we look at it, that God just gives us life, general, you know, general lease on life. And so he has a general mission for us. Well, then when I'm cooking dinner, that's like a, just an annoying part of my general life mission. But if I look at it, that God is creating me right now, that means I have a mission right now. And if that's including cooking dinner, then it's cooking dinner. If it's, getting ready for Rosh Hashanah dinner, getting ready for Shabbos. In other words, we might be in a rush to get to Shabbos. Well, no, you're being, the purpose of Shabbos will come when Shabbos comes. The purpose of Friday afternoon is the purpose of Friday afternoon. How do I know that? Because God is creating you right now and God creates everything with a purpose. If he didn't have a purpose for you right now, he wouldn't create you right now. So what you're, I, I just, don't see my purpose every single minute. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. 
I'll listen to you in the car. Maybe it'll absorb a little more. Oh, whoa, whoa, one second. Now, then comes the hard work. This is what I said since the beginning of the courses is that these are the ideas. Now, bringing them into practice takes a lot of hard work. Um, Thinking about what my purpose right now, you have to think about it. It, Jewish meditation is, is, is a mindset change, as we said the whole time. And recognizing that you have purpose every single moment is not something that's going to come to you in a moment. When you think about this idea that you have purpose every moment and you incorporate it in your life, and the more you do it, the more you're going to find purpose every moment. I find myself all the time. I'm doing something and then I, if this is part of my mindset, I'll think about, well, let me stop rushing. Let me focus on what I have to do right now and do it fully because I'm, I'm doing this for a purpose. Does that make sense? I'm yeah. not saying, I'm not saying you're going to change overnight. I would think more, um, okay, what mitzvahs am I going to do today? I, I would think that would give me a question to go with, okay, but when I'm making dinner, the mitzvah is to feed him. <laughs> I don't know. Well, that's what, that's what he said clearly in the text earlier. He said, even something that is just a preparation for something else, which implies even if it's a preparation for a mitzvah, let's say it's sleeping, you're going to sleep. You can go to sleep with purpose now, saying, I need to go to sleep so I can have energy tomorrow. You can eat with purpose. Uh, it doesn't have to be a technical mitzvah to have purpose. Even if it's a preparation for a mitzvah, it's considered purpose. Mm. Yeah, we get, we get caught up sometimes in, is it officially a mitzvah? Is it not officially a mitzvah? Oh, this is a topic I spoke about another, another time. Behold, the greatest with God in every single moment. Walking with God in every single moment means I'm living every single moment with the divine purpose, even if it doesn't fall technically under one of the 613. According to many opinions, prayer is not a biblical commandment either. So um, just giving you an idea that purpose is not necessarily related to a mitzvah, although it'll all, always ultimately lead to one, Right. But there are other easier examples. Like I said, you're yeah. waiting, get an, you're, you're flying on an airplane. Really, you don't want to kill time. That's the simplest one to get rid of. Don't kill time. There's relaxation. Relaxation is okay, but killing time is not okay. And also when you're going from one thing to another, always focus on what you're doing right now because right now there's a purpose in it. Does that make sense? Okay. And I'll the moment is hard. Right. And I'll talk to you about each leaf falling off the tree another time, but thank you. <laughs> okay, okay. Katora, what did you want to say? Um, I forgot that point, but uh, um, what occurred to me oh. is that, yeah, can you hear me? Can you what? hear me? Can yeah, you? Yeah. Okay. It occurred to me that, that um, even when you are... Um, relaxing there's a purpose to that if it's recharging your bodies and rejuvenating you so you can allow you to live your life and do mitzvahs you know i mean there's a purpose to that i would think right so, right i, I think I it's, it's already just a mind shift basically right that's why that that was what was good about that story of the students who were trying to sing one song quickly to get to the next song to get to the deep this discourse and he said no 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 do the preparation correctly and then when we get to the discourse we'll do that you know it's not one or the other it's not that you rush to one thing to get to the other there's a purpose right now in what you're doing and be 
fully present there. So even if the item, in other words, I think take it like this, even if the item you're doing right now, you consider less important than other items, realize that right now, this is the most important thing and therefore be fully involved and present in that item that you're doing. Despite your feelings of it being inferior, right now it's the most important thing. More important, right now it's the most important thing. Okay, other questions or comments? No, okay, well, those who wanna stick around, you can watch a little meditation. And if you don't wanna stick around, I won't be offended. It is late. Throw a stick into the air. Wait, I don't know. Anal- one second. Continue rising can you, can you as long it? as the energy it? of your thrust is yes. there. Okay. When that ceases, the stick falls back to earth. In other words, there is a constant energy flow in the universe that maintains it. God is constantly energizing it. Were God to stop for even a moment, it would fall back into a state of nothingness. Gently close your eyes. And imagine yourself sitting in a darkened movie theater, waiting for the movie to begin. The lights have dimmed There's an air of expectancy and you're waiting for the sudden sound and light to appear. And it does. And you begin watching scene after scene. And the opening scene The proverbial car chase, exciting, technologically magnificent, cars exploding, carrying out aerial acrobatics. See it in your mind and you are integrated with it. You're part of it. You feel the excitement. And suddenly, nothing. No sound, no light. So suddenly, stillness, darkness, movie theater, nothing on screen. The projector has for some reason stopped. The energy thrust has gone completed. You are back at the beginning. So is the world. The world is 
your movie. The world is your movie theater. And there's a projector. God projects reality into the world with Hashem's breath. Hashem breathes life into the world. And if God were to desist for even the briefest moment, it would return to a state of tohu vavohu, nothingness, unknowable chaos. Sense and feel Hashem's breath breathing life into the universe, projecting light, reality, allowing you to be an active participant. It's Hashem's animating force that constantly maintains life. You included in everything that you do, in everything that you see, marvel at the constancy of the energy thrust. Hashem's integration, involvement, maintenance of the world that you live in. Sorry, I said that that was, uh... I'm sorry, I said it was short. I actually got confused. I ha There's another meditation video, but we're, we're out of time. But uh, I you will see the other one in the link of the class. And um, hope you're not hearing me twice. Anyways, I'm going to stop the recording. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you so much.